This past Thursday, I was in Ann Arbor for a conference, and, and during a lunch break, I walked over to the University of Michigan Art Museum, where I came across a, a quote on a wall that, that led into the exhibit. And the quote read, The more clearly we can focus our attention on the wonders of the universe, the less taste we will have for destruction. Rachel Carlson wrote those words. You might remember her as the author of Silent Spring about the impact of pesticides on our crops and our environment. I learned this week how Rachel faced hardship in her life. For example, when her niece died, she assumed responsibility of of raising her grandnephew. It was for him she wrote a famous article called Help Your Child to Wonder. And it was wonder that inspired Rachel to, to care for others and to care for our world. And how does wonder do that? Well, Rachel believed wonder and our appreciation of it, even our pursuit of it, leads us to what she called the ultimate mystery of life itself. And this desire to to sustain life, to, to enjoy life, to reverence life, rather than seek its its harm or its destruction. In the month of June, our theme is the gift of wonder discerning God through our senses. So far, we've considered how being able to taste and to hear and to see and to smell draws us closer to God. This morning, we turn to the gift and the wonder of touch. It's probably a little surprising and maybe even a little disconcerting. Notes Daniel Shamovitz in his book, What a Plant Knows, that plants know when they are being touched. Not only do they know when they are being touched, plants can differentiate between hot and cold, and when their branches are swaying in the wind. Plants can also feel direct contact. The Venus flytrap snaps its jaws shut, when an insect lands inside its leaves. Plants seemingly don't like to be touched too much. Simply touching or or shaking a plant can lead to its growth stopping. Some plants, like the burr cucumber you will find on your bulletin cover, are up to ten times more sensitive than we are when it comes to touch. Vines from a burr cucumber can feel a string weighing only 0.009 ounces. Most of us can feel the presence of a light piece of string on our fingers that is about 0.07 ounces. Touch comes before sight, before speech. It is the first language. It is the last language. And it always tells the truth. Margaret Atwood, the novelist, wrote those words. Do you think they're true? 
that touches is the first language. It is the last language, and it always tells the truth. I thought about that idea this week and how it felt to hold Lynn's hand for the first time. How it felt to hold Brendan and Auden and Hallie for the first time. To hold the hand of someone from our church family in the hospital. She or he took some of their last breaths. Have you ever thought about touch? Has it been in your own life a means to connect or not to connect? with loved ones, and with the world? And has touch in your own life revealed the truth? That leads to the wonderful question, well, how does touch work exactly? Daniel Shamovitz explains when you touch something, the sensory neurons for touch, which are known as mechano receptors relay signals to to neurons that connects to our central nervous system and to our spinal cord the mechanics involved are are complex but the principles are simple there are sodium outside of our cells and potassium inside our cells that's why salt balances are important in our diet when a mechanoreceptor is activated, let's say by our, our thumb touching a keyboard, channels open up at the point of contact in the cell that allow sodium to pass into the cell. The movement of sodium changes the electric charge, which leads to other channels opening and sodium flows. The result of all this is a signal that propagates along the length of a neuron like a wave propagating along the ocean. Is that not a wonder? The wonder that a burr cucumber possesses touch. The wonder of how our bodies are intricately created to touch. Which brings us to our passage in Luke's Gospel, where we read how Jesus was gaining notoriety with his teachings and miracles. Just before our passage, Jesus has told the parable of the sower, for example. He calmed a lake on which the disciples' boat was rocking. He healed a demon-possessed man. In our passage, he meets two people who are in desperate need. The first is Jairus, a, a Jewish leader who falls at Jesus' feet, begging for Jesus to come to his house because his daughter, who is 12, is dying. Jesus decides to do this, but the crowds, as Luke puts it, are crushing. And can you imagine that scene in your mind's eye, people surrounding Jesus, maybe 10 or 20 people deep? Then Luke does something intriguing. As scholars note, he tells a, a story within a story. Our passage reads, as Jesus was on his way to Jairus's house, the crowds almost crushed him. There was a woman who had been a subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. 
She came up behind Jesus and, and, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing around you. Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know power has gone out from me. Brent Bill and Beth Boran have written a lovely book called Awaken Your Senses. They make this observation, they write. Throughout Jesus' public ministry, he touched people, and they touched him. His followers, for example, in Matthew's gospel, begged Jesus to let the sick touch the fringe of his robe, and all who touched it were healed. When Jesus returned in his resurrected body, he said to his disciples, look at my hands, look at my feet, touch me. One evening he went to Peter's home and healed his mother-in-law of a high fever, and Luke's gospel records as the sun went down. People throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter their diseases, the touch of Jesus' hand healed them. Touch, in other words, was central to how Jesus lived out his life and ministry. As Bill and Boram note, no matter what their diseases, whether they were communicable or incommunicable, Jesus touched them. I'm not sure exactly when it started, carrying around antibacterial soap in those small portable bottles. But you see people, especially in the winter, rubbing their hands in a public setting. It's smart, of course. It's how we not get sick. But Jesus lived his life on the opposite end of that reality. Jesus touched everyone no matter who they were. That's why this week I wondered if Margaret Atwood's assertion that touch becomes before sight and before speech, it's the first language and the last, and it tells the truth applies to Jesus. If we are known first by our deeds and then by our words, as the saying goes, Jesus' first language in many ways was touch. And it is to whom he extended that gift that reveals the truth of who he was. After the woman was healed, Luke records, someone came from the house of Jairus and said, your, your daughter is dead, don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. But hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. And when Jesus arrived at Jairus' house, all the people were were wailing and mourning for her, and Jesus said, Stop wailing. She is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she had died. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. The more we focus our attention on the wonders of the universe, the less taste we have for destruction. This week I considered how the wonder of touch in Jesus' life was clearly at the, the 
other end of destruction. That the power of touch expressed by Jesus was all about connection and it was about healing and it was about restoration. That in Jesus' life, touch is revealed as this gift of, of faith and hope and love. One that we are as Jesus' disciples to mirror and to mimic as we share touch with, with a loved one, with a stranger, and perhaps most importantly, with someone in need. And it was with that spiritual truth in mind that I was grieved this week when I read Caitlin Dickinson's heartbreaking account of what is unfolding in Texas. She writes, at an overcrowded border station in Clint, Texas, Children as young as seven, eight, and eight are caring for infants they just met. Toddlers go without diapers. Young detainees have not been able to shower or wash their clothes, have no access to toothbrushes, toothpaste, or soap. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas said the crisis at our borders, unlike anything we've witnessed before, Columnist Charles Blow described a recent report that noted how a two-year-old boy locked in detention just wants to be held. A few girls ages 10 and 15 say they've been doing their best. A 14-year-old girl said she'd been holding two girls in her lap every day. How do we respond to that kind of news, to that hardship? Christian author Philip Yancey once said, I've wondered why Jesus so frequently touched the people he healed, many who must have been unsanitary and smelly. With his power, he easily could have waved a magic wand. In fact, a wand would have reached more people than a touch. He could have divided the crowd into groups and and organized the miracles. People with leprosy over here, people with fevers over here, and raised his wand and healed everyone. But he chose not to. Jesus' mission was clearly not a crusade against disease. If he did, why did he leave so many people unhealed in the world, but rather... His ministry was to individual people, some who just happened to have a disease. Jesus wanted those people, one by one, to feel his love and to feel his warmth. He knew he couldn't demonstrate his love to a crowd because love involves touch. The more we can focus our attention on the wonders of our universe, the less taste we have for destruction. The wonder our five senses grant us is access to the splendor and glory of creation, all of which is to be praised and to never be taken for granted. As we've mentioned over the past five weeks, there are over 100,000 flavors of taste 
So as the psalmist teaches, taste and see the Lord is good. Take time to listen to the sound of the wind, we said, for the Bible describes how the Spirit blows through our lives like the wind. Remember, what we see is what we get. So let us open our eyes like the man that Jesus healed and say, I was blind, but, but now I see. May we never overlook the gift of smell, lest we lose that ability to discern the difference between jasmine coffee and an onion or as we mentioned last Sunday do you want to come closer to God just follow your nose and then perhaps most of all let us be inspired by the sense that Jesus extended to others that is touch and may we as the phrase that old AT&T commercial that goes, reach out and touch someone. And may we do that this summer. It could be a loved one. It could be a neighbor. It could be a stranger. And perhaps most of all, someone in need. For clearly, God has created this wondrous world to connect to be in touch, from that burr cucumber to the salt outside our cells, from, from Jerry's daughter to the woman reaching for the edge of Jesus' cloak, from the toddlers and children in Texas longing for someone to hold them, to the person beside you in the pew this morning. For touch, is it not truly a wonder? And is it not truly a gift from God? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.